Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from Dante. An inmate at the Jackson Correctional Institution. All calls, other than properly placed attorney calls, may Hello? be monitored and recorded. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press 2. If you would like to permanently block your number from receiving calls from this facility, press 6. For balance and rate quotes, press Thank you for using CenturyLink. You may start the conversation now. Welcome to the Incarcerated U.S. Podcast. I am your host, Dante Cottingham. This morning I'm speaking to Ms. Mary Buser. She is the former acting chief of the Rikers Island Jail's Mental Health Center and its infamous solitary confinement unit. And she's an award-winning author of a book, a memoir, entitled Lockdown on Rikers, Shocking Stories of Abuse and Injustice at New York's Notorious Jail. Good morning, Ms. Buser. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, I think, well the pleasure's all mine. I'd like to thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Happy to. I have some um, I have some questions I'd like to ask you to get your perspective on some of the components of mass incarceration in America. But before we get to those, let's um let's talk about your book. Please give okay. our listeners an overview. Um and, and how would you describe what inspired you to share your experiences with us? Well, um the book is about my experience in the Rikers Island mental health department. Um, it's, it's my journey, um, it's a very personal story of my journey as a, um, an intern, a social work intern in the mental health department working with women, um, average American, hoping to make a difference, and um, that experience um, was very meaningful to me, that internship, so much so that I returned to Rikers Island uh, once I got my master's degree worked as a therapist in several um, of the men's jails. Rikers is a, uh, a complex of 10 jails. And after several years, I was promoted to an assistant chief of mental health. And um, along the way, I was making discoveries beyond um, my personal work with people to see the the injustice and the unfairness in our criminal justice system was far broader than I'd ever imagined, but I kept doing my work, and then, as I said, once I was promoted, um, my last stint on Rikers was acting chief of mental health at the 500-cell solitary confinement unit. All 500 cells were full. This was a, a shocking eye-opener to me to uh, come face-to-face with people in solitary confinement and the things that I had become disillusioned about over the years kind of reached a climax right there with solitary. And I left Rikers Island, but I couldn't forget um, everything that I had experienced, the people that I had met, what I had learned, and to see the big gap between what the public, what um, the average person believes our criminal justice system is, what they think life behind bars is, and reality. And then I was just became determined to write this book um, to tell it in a very personal way. And it took many years, but I could not rest until I till I put uh, to put till I wrote this book and got it published. So that's in a nutshell my story. Um, and how, how would you like for the listeners? I've, I've read your book personally, and it's it's a it's a very powerful book. Um, you, you, a lot of people in society, they'll, they'll like the book because it kind of introduces them to, like you say, 
a, uh, uh, the criminal justice system, they'll see it in a new light. It's not like the movies. It's not like how they think. Um, so a lot of people will like it, but because it educates them. Um, personally, as a, I've, I've been in prison for 20-plus years, so I'm already, like, intimately aware of uh, how the criminal justice system works and how incarceration uh, operates. So um, I, I like the book. Actually, I love the book because of how honest it was. Um, I know that the things that you wrote about were honest. I know you were telling the truth because I've witnessed it I've, I've experienced it. So um, kudos to you um, for, 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 for being strong enough to, to step up and stand out and, and to be bold enough and brave enough to, to tell such an honest story. Well, thank you. It means a lot hearing it from someone who knows it firsthand that, uh, that, I've, that I've told it accurately. Extremely and, uh, accurately. Extremely accurately. I, I, and I was, as I was reading it, I'm, 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 I'm being uh, repeatedly surprised by how uh, bluntly you articulated your relationships with the other COs and other people um, in the DOC. And thank you. Thank you for, for telling that story. That's one of the things that, that uh, the prison reform movement in the United States needs is the truth. And you did yes. it in spades. So thank you for doing that. Um, what kind of what kind of reform do you believe that Rikers uh, needs immediately? How, how, what, what do you think they need to do immediately? Well, um, as as people might know, just a little bit uh, backdrop on Rikers. It is uh, when I was there, it was the biggest jail complex in the country, if not the world. Uh, there were twenty four thousand people in those ten jails, and an average New York prison upstate would hold about two thousand. So this is a massive complex for uh, people who have been arrested in New York City. Um, if they can't afford bail, they will go typically to Rikers Island. And as people might know, I don't know if you're aware of it in other parts of the country, but there's been a big move to shut it down. It has been exposed in the last few years as a brutal place. Um, a lot of the unfairness of, of bail, of the bias against the poor has been exposed. So there is um, a big movement to shut it down. Um, I am a little bit cautious about it. While ideally I'd like to see it shut down, um, big changes have to take place. Otherwise, I think right. just run the risk of relocating it. Um, and um, one of the reforms, though, that has happened that I've been very happy about is under pressure, um, the commissioner um, instituted reforms to solitary confinement. And um, having, again, worked there, walked into these cells on a daily basis, um, I, am, I, I am convinced that this is uh, um, an utterly um, horrific punishment that is probably torture. The United Nations says anything beyond um, 15 days in solitary constitutes torture. Um, the, yeah, the discoveries I made before I went to work in a solitary unit, um, I was told that, um, led to believe that it was for the baddest of the bad, the worst of the worst, and got up close, got in these cells, meeting people, and, you know, I could see their folders. Four out, four out of five were there for nonviolent infractions, people who had too many stamps, being put into this horrific uh, punishment um, and not at all what we're led to believe. And Absolutely. even for the most violent people, this cannot be the answer to jailhouse management. It is barbaric. And um, 
So in terms of Rikers, there have been reforms to solitary confinement, um, which is, is gratifying, and there's more and more. Um, uh, years ago, no one even heard of it. It's coming up more and more. The public is hearing about it more. President Obama um, eliminated it for juveniles in the federal prison system. I thought that was a very hopeful sign. But there are still uh, thousands of people. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and, and that's a big deal. Like, just for it to be in the spotlight, just for it to be conversations about it. And just to, just to speak to how you describe solitary confinement in your book again, um, I spent two and a half years in solitary confinement myself. So wow. I know, I know that the way you described it was, was, was point on. So it's, again, yeah. um, much respect to how you broke it down. Because people need to know. People need to know exactly what's going on. People need to know what kind of effect it's having on people. People need to, 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 to see the, the tragedy of it. Yes. Yes, and it does not reduce violence. It, it, it increases it. It makes people more violent. It, Absolutely. It, it's used more and more, I think, as a management tool. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's and, bad. And, yeah, and, and my job is to go in and make sure that people weren't dead, basically. Right. So you just stated in your book um, that they have uh, uh, spaces that they need to fill. And a lot of times, they're, if they got, they got uh, space in solitary confinement, they'll fill those spaces just so they'll open up um, space on the units. And so <laughs> it's, 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 it's horrible. It's just a horrible practice. How would you, how would you, describe, how would you describe the personal impact of working on Rikers had on you? Well, that's a great question. I started off, as I said, very idealistic. I felt like I was going to make a difference. I wanted to help people. Um, I started working with women, and I saw this um, as an opportunity to help people um, who probably had chaotic lives on the outside, maybe involved with drugs, uh, you, know, you know, in the streets, not really fi- having found their way in life. And I thought I could help people. Other than properly placed attorney calls, maybe monitored and recorded. Please continue. Okay. Um, and so I started off, in it, and I, I connected very nicely with the women, and the, my work was great, and I believed in it. But as time went on, and I started to see people who were in jail um, because they couldn't afford bail, sometimes just a couple of hundred bucks, I started to see that trial was years away. People would say they were guilty of things they were not guilty of. They didn't understand how the system worked. They could never reach lawyers. And it just wasn't at all what it was cracked up to be or what we're all led to believe about our system. And I started to grow more disillusioned. And then when I was promoted to an assistant chief, I thought that I would get off the front lines but still manage mental health services. But then um, I just went from the frying pan to the fire when I wound up in the solitary confinement unit. So by the end, I, <laughs> I had not smoked cigarettes. I started smoking. I became a chain smoker. I could not go into the solitary unit without going to the bathroom and smoking a cigarette before I went up to steady myself for, for who knows what I was going to see. I and, became, and smoking, excuse me, smoking was, it was in response to what emotion? Oh, my God. Um, horror, fear. Bracing myself, trying to steady my nerves, you know. Yeah. Everything around yeah. you tells you, you, you know, you have officers in uniforms 
This punishment is legally sanctioned. The American flag flying above the jail. So everything you have this debate in your head, this is fine, but your body is telling you something different. When your legs start to wobble, when you've got to go up there, and they're going to open that cell, and you're going to face someone with a noose, someone banging their head, you're going to see skulls, you're going to see blood, you're going to see people begging for a reprieve. And I just felt like no person, forget me, should be making decisions like these, not in the United States of America, a decision where we could authorize a temporary reprieve, but we were under terrible pressure not to let anybody out unless we thought they were actually going to die. So the reality of what my job came down to in the end was horrible. And I became more and more isolated from friends and family. You know, you go to a barbecue and people would say, you know, so what do you do? I'd be like, oh, please don't ask that question. This party will be over very fast if I tell you. And um, so it had a very, uh, I became withdrawn. Um, I had great difficulty sleeping. I wondered whether people were going to be alive the next day. Um, Very far cry from the way I started out where, you know, this person who's going to make a difference. In the end, I just became kind of a cog in a wheel that I came to realize was all wrong. So it's tough. Absolutely. Um, in your book, you kind of you describe some, some of the CEOs that you encountered and some of their uh, insensibilities or their um, meanness. Um, do you, would you agree that working in that environment uh, destroys many of the staff as it does the prisoners? Yes, yes, um, yes, definitely. It's the system. Um, you know, I hesitated in the book to really single out COs. Some of them were very brutish. A lot of them were very good people who really tried to do their jobs. But um, as I mentioned in the book, when I would go home at night, the parking lot, which is like the size of Yankee Stadium because Rikers is so huge, covered, covered in broken um, liquor bottles. And I literally had a dustpan and broom that I would have to sweep every morning to pull into a spot. So the drinking, the alcoholism was rampant among the officers. And I think that's um, really symptomatic of, of their efforts to block out this, this you know, hopelessness. And um, they felt very disrespected. They were not treated with the same respect as the NYPD for patrolling, as they called it, New York's toughest precinct. Right. And they saw they became very desensitized themselves, and um, I you would you would you would see that you'd see people change, right. and you'd see yeah yeah Absolutely. people become not Absolutely. quite as human. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, and so, so so tell me this: what, what what are some other things that that you believe Americans need to know about incarceration and the criminal justice system? Well, I think I think that. The big driver of incarceration, I don't think it's any surprise, is drugs. Um, I think that um, the tide is starting to turn. There has to be a recognition that drug addiction is a disease and that people people need help. Um, you know, so many people that I would talk to at Rikers were very decent, good people. However, they were cut off from drugs And they would whisper to me, you know, whatever they did, be it a robbery or whatever, 
they said, that's not me. That was, you know, the drugs, Miss B. I would never do that. And I know I was sitting with an essentially good person. And this is, this is really, um, you know, uh, all roads led to drugs, whether it was selling, using, buying, uh, the violence associated with it. And this whole, you know, war on drugs has been a colossal failure. Um, it has not worked, and so many people's lives have been destroyed, not only through drugs, but through then incarceration. We need to, to invest in people's lives. There are ways to deal with addiction and hopelessness. Um, that has to be done on a large scale, um, number one. Number two, um, I think that people need to be aware that our system is not what you watch on law and order at all. No, it's not. Uh, Absolutely not. No, 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 it's not. Right. It is not. The levels of inhumanity, uh, I talk about it my first day at Rikers. Um, the, the officers refer to the uh, the inmates as uh, bodies. How many bodies yeah. here? How many bodies there? Yeah. The dehumanization of people um, is profound behind bars, and I think it's inexcusable. Um, what's the point? And how are people to come back out? Um, another issue at Rikers was gangs. People said that, you know, you have these terrible people there. People would join gangs just for protection. There's no reason that Rikers needs to be hell on earth where you need protection. You so see, many absolutely. Go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, no, well, I was going to say, you said in your book that, um, you said that, yes, uh, you were referring to some people that, some men that created, that committed a crime. So, yes, they committed a wrong, but isn't it also a wrong to tear the families apart? So, yeah. especially, especially when it comes to right nonviolent people. Um, at, at some point, you, um, at some point, your, the way you the criminal justice system becomes as wrong as the people is incarcerated. I think that's the point you're making. It's a, it's a very valid point. Yes. Oh, yes. I, <laughs> yes, I think that, um, yeah, I do, absolutely. Whatever someone has done on the outside, uh, starts to get very overshadowed by what, how we treat that person. You know, justice Absolutely. is a virtue, but so is compassion, mercy, it, forgiveness, absolutely. understanding of someone's circumstances. Absolutely. If not started out on the same foot, that okay. uh, people who might be impulsive for understanding more about the human brain, the impulsivity of teens. Uh, I recently went to the Otisville Prison, upstate New York, met men who had committed crimes in their teens who are now in their 50s. Absolutely. You know, very different people. Let them go, you know. Yeah, Understand absolutely. better. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, and for, for our listeners who may be interested in purchasing your book, where is it available? Uh, Amazon. Very easy to get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, okay. Most people seem to, yeah, whichever. And, and, I, and I'll, be, I'll be sure to, uh, to put links to where it's available everywhere the podcast will be available as well. And... And uh, I found a question before I let you go. Unfortunately, 20 minutes is so short. Uh, oh, it goes so fast. One minute left. Uh, I didn't just said it. Look, so I'm, I'm not to, we got one minute, so I'm not to, uh, I'm not to close here. But I, I'd like to thank you again for taking the time this morning. But before I let you go, I, w- I would like to share in on the sentiment of your father uh, when he said, Mary, you can't change the world, but God bless you for trying. Oh, 
Dante, thank you very much. You're the only person I think that's picked up on that, and I thank you for for saying that. Thank you. Thank you for being brave enough to stand up and speak out. Thank you for trying. So much for trying. Um, Best to you for the work that you are doing as well. Thank you. And that that means a a great deal coming from you. Uh, This is Dante uh, signing off with the Incarcerated U.S. Podcast, the place where all of our voices come together. The caller has hung up.